Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here with you today, taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. We're here to talk with you. And we're here to pray for you. So along with your Bible questions, uh, we would love for you to send us your prayer requests. Let us know how we can be praying for you today. Um, Just a few greetings to those of you who are tuning in from different places. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and into southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Grace FM, of course, airing all the way from Cheyenne, Wyoming, all the way down to Colorado Springs and even a little bit south of there in Colorado. And um, then we also want to greet those of you who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Maryland, as well as those on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program. We're so glad that you have tuned in with us today. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible Maybe you've been reading and you, you've had uh, something you've always wondered about. Well, this is your opportunity to call in, and hopefully we can give you some clarity on that. We'd love to um, not just do that, but we'd also love to pray for you and talk through situations in your life. So give us a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line is 720 336 0897. Um, again, reminder that those of you listening on the East Coast on Hope FM and on Truth FM, you guys are hearing the show on a one week delay. So we'd love for you to just keep that in mind. But uh, we want you to also be calling in and letting us know uh, how we can be praying for you. We also want to be answering your prayer or your Bible questions. So even though you guys are hearing on a one week delay, we hope that you will still call us and um, be part of the show. And then you guys have a unique opportunity where you can tune in the following week and you can hear yourselves on the air, maybe tell a friend or two, help spread the word about Calvary Live and the great uh, community of people that God is building through this show around the country and really around the world. Um, We also have an online audience. And so I just see that uh, we have some online listeners Right now, I just got sent the map. So we have some over on the East Coast. It's like Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, New Orleans, Dallas. uh, Looks like Kansas. And uh, a lot of listeners here on the front range of Colorado, as well as Las Vegas, Los Angeles, uh, Seattle area, and uh, Spokane area. So wherever you're tuning in from today, we're really glad that you're with us. Uh, We also have some international listeners, Ukraine, South Africa, Dubai, Really cool to see how God is using this show around the world and around our country to answer people's Bible questions, to help uh, spread truth and knowledge of God um, through the airwaves and over the Internet. 
Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests, so give us a call. We have all open lines. Here at the beginning of the show is generally a really good time to call in. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Again, we want to give a big hello to everybody who tunes in online just a reminder that we have a great app that you can get for free on your phone or on your tablet and the way to do that is just in your app store for your device that you use go to uh, the store type in the search bar grace fm and it will come right up Uh, it's totally free and you put that on your device and you can listen over the internet anywhere in the world as obviously our listeners are doing in ukraine and south africa and in dubai right now so, um, my, a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And we are a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in this city. And we would love to meet you. We'd love to um, serve you. Right now, of course, like all churches, we are completely online. Uh, we're doing our community groups online. And of course, we're doing our Sunday services online, of course, because of the COVID-19 crisis that we're in the midst of right now. Um, but the one of the things that's really exciting about um, where we're at as a church right now, we just moved into our own facility. And for a long time, you know, we, we've been renting. We were in a pretty large facility that, that allowed us to serve the people who were coming. But we always felt like, you know, there's so much more that we'd like to do, so many more people we like to reach. And so for a long time, we've been praying and saving and asking God to um, open up a door for us to move into our own place. And we just did. And our first service was going to be, I think it was three weeks ago now, was supposed to be our first service. And of course, that that was not possible. Um, but we have been able to use the building. Uh, we've gotten, it, it has been a little bit nice, I got to tell you, in the only from the perspective of um, we've been able to be in there and kind of start making some improvements. And so as we, you know, take precautions, of course, and respect the rules, we have been able to film in there and we've been able to kind of get some stuff set up and get signs posted and all of these things, which we were going to have to do with the building full of people. And we're able to do it yet before they move in, which has been really good. But I, I tell you what, we can't wait to get to be together um, as brothers and sisters in the Lord physically. Because, you know, I would say from a theological perspective, it's really important that we meet physically. Um, You know, we have all these verses in the Bible, for example, that tell us where two or three are gathered. I'm there in your midst. And of course, we can gather online. But there's also the fact of like Hebrews 10.25 that says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. And it's part of our anthropology. You know, if you think about the anthropology of theology, right, that aspect of our theology is that we are embodied beings. God didn't just make us as disembodied souls, but he made us as embodied beings. And even when we will be resurrected and in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be embodied, right? We will have heavenly bodies and we will move into that next stage. And so... um, the physical aspect of our gatherings is really important. And I would say that um, we as the church, you know, what we're doing now and meeting online and things like that, I think that's really good. I think it's awesome that we have this technology and we can meet people in that way. 
but we do long for the time when we will be able to be together. You know, one of the things I always think about is when you're worshiping and singing songs of worship, the dynamic in there is not only that you are singing the songs, but it's that you're with other people. And so it's a multi-sensory experience, right? You're, you're singing the song and you hear your own voice, but you also hear the voices of your brothers and sisters who are in the room singing those great truths along with you. And that's a really important part of the experience. And so uh, I know as a pastor, uh, we've been pre-recording our services. We did it on Thursday night, which was last night. And um, we, you know, what, what I... I think the one thing I noticed more than anything is, you know, I've got the cameras and I've got like two or three people in the room who are there for, for different reasons. Uh, you know, they're part of our crew that helps us film and, and record and all that. But, you know, you tell a joke and you, it just, there's no response or you, you pray and there's no response. And um, yeah, I look forward to the time when we can be back together. But for now, of course, we're meeting online. And if you guys are looking for, uh, church service to join online. I can definitely recommend ours. Um, there's a couple ways to find us, and that is uh, the best way is probably through our website, whitefieldschurch.com. Whitefieldschurch.com. So that's kind of the one stop hub for everything you need, Whitefields. Um, so, whitefieldschurch.com, you can go there. But you can also go onto our social media because we're posting our videos on multiple platforms. So you can go on there and kind of maybe browse some of our teachings, and we'd love it if you would maybe share those with some people, help spread the word about our church here in Longmont, and maybe just um, share those. We hope that they encourage you, and we hope that they bless you. So check us out, whitefieldschurch.com, or on social media. You can go to um, just search on Facebook, Whitefields Community Church, YouTube, Whitefields Community Church, Instagram, Twitter. We're on all of those platforms, and we'd love to connect with you in those ways. Um, our new location, some of you have asked for that. Our new location is 2950 Colorful Avenue, and that is just east of County Line Road and Highway 119. So, um, you know, all these roads have different names, right? So it's County Road 1, also known as County Line Road, um, and Highway 119 is also known as Ken Pratt Boulevard. So it kind of depends on, you know, which area you're coming from, what the name of the street is. But it's right there, Ken Pratt Boulevard or Highway 119 and County Line Road, County Road 1 there. We're just on the north side of Highway 119 across from Walmart. There's a Walmart there at County Line Road and 119. There's also big skate park and Sandstone Ranch um, sports fields and all of those things. So we're really looking forward to how God is going to use us in that part of town. But it's also more accessible. We have a lot of people who commute from, from different towns, you know, Johnstown, Loveland, Berthoud, and Erie, and all of those places, especially a lot from Frederick, Firestone, Decono area, as well as, of course, the majority of our, our churches in Longmont and in Boulder. And so we're looking forward to being uh, definitely on a main, <coughs> excuse me, state highway there where people are able to get to us easier from all different directions. So again, check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. You can also hear me every day on Grace FM. We have a show called Life in the Field, which airs every weekday at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. So Monday through Friday, 2.30 p.m. And Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So if for some reason you're not going to be able to be in church 
on any given Sunday, which of course is right now every Sunday for the time being. Then um, Sunday morning at 10 a.m., tune into uh, Grace FM, and you'll be able to hear our services on there. I got a I got a really great email this week from a lady named Nancy, and Nancy lives just north of Lyons, Colorado. They live on a big um, property, and they don't have internet out at their property because they are pretty remote up there in the foothills. They're just north of Lyons, and uh, she wrote me just to say, hey, I, I'm so thankful for what you guys do with Grace FM because we can get a radio signal up here where our property is at, but we can't get internet. So, you know, we have to come into town every now and then even just to get a mobile signal to use the internet on our phones. And so it's just such a, a big blessing for us to be able to have, um, you know, these Bible teaching and Calvary Live over the radio. So, Nancy, if you're tuning in today, uh, thank you for that encouraging word. You know, um, one of the things that I've been encouraged by with with um, Grace FM over the years is just that radio certainly isn't dead. You know, I think some people pronounced the death of radio pretty prematurely. And so uh, what a blessing, though, that as people are still listening to the radio, um, you know, Calvary Aurora, Calvary Church in Aurora was able to get this station and they're able to pump out solid Bible teaching because our world certainly needs more of that. Um, so, hey, if you're just tuning in, my name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything else that's on your heart or on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to pray for you. And we'd love to answer your questions. So give us a call or text us. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. I had one more thing I was going to tell you is that this weekend, if you're looking for a place or to watch services or to share services, our service is going to be broadcast not only on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, but it's also going to be simulcast on the Calvary Chapel um, Facebook page, which is really cool. So if you haven't followed the Calvary Chapel Facebook page, we encourage you to do that. You know, they've got, of course, like 25, 30,000 followers on there. And so you can join that community. They're doing live videos all the time with people praying. I was part of that for the last four weeks. Uh, we've been doing live prayer around the world. And now they're doing live church around the world, and we're going to be part of that this coming Sunday. So definitely check out that Calvary Chapel Facebook page. You'll be blessed and glad that you did. Okay, let's go over to see. We've had a lot of text messages coming in, but not a lot of calls. So uh, here's the number to call. We, we like to prioritize calls on here, but we're going to go ahead and go to these text messages. Let me give you the number to call, though. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. This person says, I'm requesting prayer again for a home that has not sold and birthed. Showings were closed down by a real estate company, but are starting again on Monday. Yeah, let's pray for you. Heavenly Father, we pray for uh, this dear person who has this home for sale in Berthoud and being affected by all of the shutdown of things with COVID-19. Lord, we just pray that their home would sell, that it would sell to the person who needs it, and Lord, that it would sell in a timely manner so that they can do the things that they need to do 
uh, with moving on to the next stage of life. And so, Lord, we pray for this person, Lord, that their house would sell, that you would bring about interest and that there would be just the right buyer for them. And we pray that that would happen soon, especially soon with it opening up again on Monday. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So praying for you, praying that your house sells there. Let's go to our next text message. Um, Hello, Pastor Nick. When you are praying, as an example for healing, people have said if it's God's will for them to be healed, you can't or shouldn't pray against his will. How do you address this? Um, Yeah, so the answer to that question is really, really simple. In fact, I think that um, I think it's actually really good news, too. Here's the answer to the question. So when we're praying and we don't know what the will of God is, right? Like we may not know, is it God's will to heal this person or is it God's will that this person maybe be healed only when they are in heaven, right? When they leave this world and enter into his presence. If we can't know that, then how can we pray? Well, I'll give you a couple different scriptures on this. First of all, we have a direct addressing of this question in Romans chapter 8, where we're told that when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit prays through us. So if we have God's Holy Spirit in us, which, by the way, he says, if you don't have God's Holy Spirit in you, you, are not, you do not belong to God. Conversely, then, if God's Spirit is in you, then you do belong to God. So every believer has the Holy Spirit in them, indwelling them as a seal, And the Holy Spirit does many things as he indwells us. One of those things that the Holy Spirit does is does a work of sanctification in us, which is that work of cleansing us, making us holy, making us more like Jesus, or as it says here in Romans, conforming us to the image of God's Son. But there's another thing is this. It says in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now let me put this to you in maybe like super practical terms, okay? Let's say I'm praying for <clears throat> uh, this uh, a person to get a certain job, right? Well, you could easily become paralyzed and say, well, I don't know if it's God's will for this person to get a job or to get this job or if it's not. And I don't want to pray against the will of God. So maybe I should just play it safe and not pray. Well, that wouldn't really make any sense, right, for us to not pray. So what do we do? Well, the great news is basically what it's telling us here in Romans 8 is that what the Holy Spirit does for us is basically interprets our prayers, right? So it's kind of like going through this filter that interprets our prayers and makes them according to the will of God. Now, now let me give you another example. Now, when we pray, right, we, we can ask for things and God can say yes or God can say no. And so what we do when we pray is we say amen, which means your will be done. Okay, so when we're praying, we're saying God, here's what I'd like. Now, what I want more than anything is for your will to be done. So here's here's how I do this. I would say, I think the most people I've met, I think are more timid in prayer than they need to be. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I've heard people say they'll give God a bunch of like caveats, right? They'll give him a bunch of excuses or I'm sorry, not excuses. They'll give him a bunch of outs, right? Like they'll say, 
God, heal this person, but if you don't want to, that's okay. Or God, do this, but you don't have to. Well, I, I would just say, I think God is well aware of the fact that he doesn't have to do anything that we ask him to do. I don't think we need to tell him that. Um, but I would say that one thing I would say is that it actually honors God more when we ask for big things. It honors God more when we ask for big things. Why? Because it shows that we believe that he is able to do big things, and it shows that we believe that he is willing to do big things. Right? Again, taking you back to Romans 8, it says, He who did not spare his own son, how will he not along with him also give us all things? And just last night when I was teaching, I was teaching, of course, for the camera to uh, record our sermon that's going to be aired on Sunday morning. And I'm teaching on 1 Kings chapter 3, which you may know the passage. It's the passage where Solomon has just become king after David's death. And Solomon is given this incredible promise in a dream by God that he can ask for anything he wants and God will give it to him. And so, you know, Solomon, of course, looks at that and he asks for wisdom to be the best king he can be. And God looks at that and says, Solomon, that is a great request. Your request pleases me. It's a noble request. You are not asking for the death of your enemies. You're not asking for money. You're not asking for a long life. You're asking for um, something to bless the people, and God gives it to him. Now, two things on that. Think about this. We, we, we often look at that and we say, okay, so Solomon asked for, or God asked Solomon, what would you like? What, could, what do you want? You know, if you could have a wish, what would it be, Solomon? And we say, man, I wish that God would make that kind of offer to me because that's awesome. Hey, guess what? God has made that same offer to you, right? And in multiple times in the Bible, like in Matthew 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Um, in other times, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, like in John 7 or John 15, he says, abide in me and my and my words abide in you. Then you will ask anything that you want in my name and it will be given to you. In other words, the same offer that God made to Solomon, he makes to us. He says, ask me for anything you want. And then, okay, in first John chapter five, there's this passage where he says, this is the confidence we have as the children of God, that anything we ask in his name, we know that he hears us. And if we ask for it, he will give it to us. Okay, so we ask for in his name. Now, remember, in his name means according to his will. Like if you were to go in my name to the courthouse or to the post office or to the doctor, you would be acting with my authority, but you would it would be presumed and assumed that you were acting according to my desires. And so that's the same way here. God doesn't promise to just give us anything if we say the magic words. No, no, no. God says, pray anything according to my will, and I'll give it to you. But how do we know the will of God? Number one, we have the Spirit of God within us. But the great news is we can literally ask for anything, and God can say no. And um, I think that sometimes the best yes that God can give us is to tell us no in a particular situation. And we have examples of this in the Bible where people pray for things and God essentially says no. Most famous, of course, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays, Father, take this cup away from me. In other words, don't make me suffer. Don't make me go through this. Don't make me go to the cross. But, and this is the most important but, isn't it? But, not my will, not what I want, but what you want, God. 
That's the humility. It's, there's a humility and a boldness that comes with the gospel. And we see that in Jesus' life. We see it in the in life of the Apostle Paul, where it says he prayed earnestly three times that God would take away the thorn in the flesh, and God said no. Okay, but did he say, you know, God, take it away or not, whatever, you know, or did he say, you know what, I'm not even going to pray about it because I don't know, maybe God doesn't want to take this away from me. No, no, no. He had the boldness and the confidence to come to God and say, God, take this away from me. And of course, as he ends it with an amen, he's saying, your will be done. Your will be done. And so here's what I would tell you, Annie. I believe that we should pray bold prayers, clear prayers, I don't think that we need to give God caveats or give him outs because of course he knows that he can do whatever he wants. But he says, come to me and ask. So that's what I would say is let's come and ask boldly and let us though have the faith that says whatever God decides, he is going to interpret my prayers through that filter that's going to make his will be done. And he's going to do it in the way that is best and which glorifies him the most. One of the great phrases I've heard on prayer and I'll end with this, is just this phrase that says, God will give you exactly what you, or God may not give you what you ask for, but he will give you exactly what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. That's why it's such good news that we have in God a father, not a genie. We have a father who knows us best and loves us most. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows the future. He knows the repercussions of everything, right? And he loves us. So in other words, rather than just giving us what we want, he gives us what is best. And yet he still tells us from our perspective, since we don't know the future, we don't know all the repercussions, we don't know even what his plan is, he says, still come to me, talk to me, ask. And and I think a big part of it is, Look, I could just give my kids things, right? I could just try and figure out what they want and give them what I think is best. But I love it when they come to me and they want to talk. They want to talk to me about the things they are interested in, the things that they love, the things that they want. Because why? Because the most important thing to me is a relationship and how much more so with God. So Annie, great question. God bless you. I hope that answers it for you. We uh, have a few more text messages to go through, and we looks like we have still one caller. Okay, let's go to our caller, Chris in Fort Collins. Uh, Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm curious as to how you would answer this. Uh, I'm kind of uh, in a Facebook conversation off and on with someone that I know, um, but the subject came up through some comments on Facebook, and we got to talking in the messages, and he, even though he knows some Bible prophecy, like the Mark of the Beast and things like that, he doesn't seem to accept the Bible as the authority, because he says Constantine um, either made it up or messed it up or mostly made it up. Wow. How do you, how can I have a conversation with him about this in the future. Yeah, the good news is there's a lot of information out there which would show that his assumption about the origin of the Bible is really misguided and and incorrect. Now, again, I'm always hesitant when I talk about this to not come across condescending because 
uh, I mean, how can somebody know if they haven't studied it, right? And so uh, my frustration with this, though, is that, you know, having been to school for these things, we studied so much about the origin of the Bible, and so many of these things that are out there are more like urban legends than they are actual history. And that's a little bit frustrating, but the good news is that there's so much information out there um, that you can use to talk to him if he is open to willing and willing to look at actual evidence. So I actually have to put you on hold because it's our two-minute break, mid-show break. But if you're willing to hold, when we come back on the other side, I would be happy to answer this in more detail. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Hey, we'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. We've come to our mid-show break. We'll be right back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And I'm here with you every Friday on Calvary Live, uh, answering your questions about the Bible and praying for your prayer requests. We have two open lines right now. It'd be a great time to call in with your question or with your prayer request. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go back to our caller, uh, Chris from Fort Collins, who was um, with us right before we went to break. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you. Okay, so Chris, your question was about a friend of yours who says that they don't believe that the Bible is reliable and they have this theory that it was um, basically either made up or redacted or somehow not trustworthy because it was fiddled with by Constantine and maybe some other people. And okay, so you were asking how to respond to that. Again, the best way to respond is with actual history. So I would put it this way. Even people who don't believe that the Bible is the word of God do not believe what your friend believes about Constantine. This is really kind of like um, folk history, meaning that, um, you know, this idea was popularized, of course, about 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago in uh, the book, uh, uh, Da Vinci Code book, of course, at that time. And a lot of people bought into it. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where... Um, a lot of people get their information from friends or they get it from dubious websites or from social media memes, unfortunately, and um, they don't actually do the real research. But if your friend is willing to do the research, there are a couple things that they will find. And that is that um, we have more proof for the reliability, the historical reliability um, for the Bible than um than for any other ancient book. And here's here's kind of the number one thing I would tell you, is that the manuscripts that have been found, because remember, archaeology is a fairly young science. The majority of manuscripts that have been found predate Constantine. And by 200 years, right? So that's a really important point. And so what we can do is we can take those manuscripts of the New Testament, from the second century AD, because remember Constantine was in the fourth century AD, we can take these um, these second century manuscripts and we can compare them with the scriptures that we have today, 
and we can see if they're different, right? And we, it's not that hard. The other thing I would say is this. What Constantine did, a lot of people um, don't even understand what he did. What Constantine, essentially, whether he became a Christian or not, that's really between him and God. He claims that he became a Christian in 314 AD. Uh, during this battle on the Milvian Bridge in northern Italy, he claims that he saw a image of a cross that told him, uh, conquer in this symbol, which that doesn't really sound like God to me, but um, he, he was a monotheist to begin with because there was a movement amongst Romans at that time towards monotheism. But remember, Christianity was about 50% of the population of the Roman Empire at that time. And so he issued what's called the Edict of Milan, which is, called the, which is also known as the Edict of Toleration. And all that did is that it did not make Christianity the official religion of the empire. That, w that didn't happen until 380 AD, which is 380 AD, under a different emperor named Theodosius I. What happened under Constantine in 314 AD was the Edict of Milan, which is the Edict of Toleration, and essentially made Christianity went from being what was called an illicit religion to being a licensed religion. The only difference between that is that until that point, Christianity had existed. It was illegal, but it wasn't usually prosecuted. It was sometimes. It would usually flare up locally, you know, depending on local leaders. So what he did is he said, no, 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 Christianity is now going to be an officially recognized religion in the Roman Empire, and that was the point when churches were allowed to build buildings. See, churches were not allowed to build buildings until that point. Now, what had happened is because they were kind of illicit, although they, they still existed, very much similar to the way that house churches work in China. You'll have house churches in China of 2,000 people. It's not really a house church, but they're an unregistered church. Many of these churches have buildings. And you've been seeing sometimes that the Chinese government will come in and they'll confiscate or even destroy one of these buildings um, because they're an illicit thing. This is exactly the same way it worked in the Roman Empire. And so what happened, Constantine did that. The other thing Constantine did is that he started reading the Bible which is pretty cool. And as he did that, he realized that there were debates among different Christian groups in different parts of the world, right? Because at that time, the way the Christian church was organized was that different bishops in different parts were like regional leaders, right? So, so like let's take Colorado, for example, there would be a leader, like a bishop for the state of Colorado. And, you know, all that he would be kind of the administrative leader for all of the churches. But let's say there's a bishop in California and he has a different view on a certain theological position than the one in Colorado. Well, Constantine, new to Christianity, comes in and he's like, what, you guys disagree on this? And he's like, well, this isn't good. You guys should really get together and talk. And so what he did is he got together. And this is what the Council of Nicaea is. This happened in 325 AD. The Council of Nicaea, which is a city near Constantinople. And he got the uh, bishops of all the world. It was an open invitation. Bishops of the world, everybody come and let's hash this out. This, this council lasted for months. And there were hundreds of bishops there. And what they did over this course of months is that they spent time discussing theological positions from the scriptures. The other thing they did is they talked about why some churches, uh, some regional 
churches accepted certain books of the Bible and some didn't others. Now, remember, this is not a lot of books of the Bible. This is like three or four that were up for debate. Uh, where some churches said, we don't recognize that as part of the Bible. And the big issue really wasn't with the Bible that we have now. 90% of the churches, or let's say more than 90%, accepted the Bible as we have it in its current form um, as Scripture. There were some extra books, especially this one book called The Shepherd of Hermes. And this was a big debate. Should that be in the Bible? And ultimately they decided no because they had some criteria by which they based it. And the criteria was of several things. Was it recognized by the early church? Number one, was it um, authored or penned by an apostle? That was another one. And uh, there, there were a couple. Oh, yeah. Does it have doctrines that contradict the rest of the Bible? Because we believe that God is a God of order and he would not uh, inspire scriptures that contradict other scriptures. So if they did, that would be a red flag. So they decided, uh, again, most of the churches already didn't recognize the shepherd of Hermes. But then these churches who did, they were like, OK, fine, we'll get on board. And we, rec we realize why you guys don't recognize this. So there was really no changes made to the Bible at all. It was mostly just kind of rubber stamping it and saying, okay, we are all on the same page and we agree, right? And, um, and the big, there was a big doctrinal issue they dealt with at this time, and that was about the deity of Jesus. Again, 90% of the churches believed exactly what we believe today as Christians, but there was this movement led by a guy from Alexandria, Egypt, named uh, Arius, and he led this movement that said, no, Jesus only seemed like he was God, but he wasn't really God. And so they hashed that out. One of my favorite stories, and I'll, I'll stop with this, is just that um, the guy we know as Santa Claus, right, there was a Saint Nicholas. He was the Bishop of Mira, which was a city on the uh, southern coast of Turkey, right? So unfortunately, Santa Claus isn't reindeers and snow. It's more like white sand beaches and palm trees. But this guy, Nicholas of Mira, got so mad at another guy who had, a, who had this heretical view of Jesus that he actually got in a fistfight with him at the Council of Nicaea. So that's how I like to tell my kids about Santa Claus, is that uh, he was a great man, he was a theologian, he loved Jesus so much, and he got in a fistfight over it. So I realize this is a lot of information. Let me give you some resources that can help you with this, but I, I do want to give you one kind of list of stats that I'm going to give you just to kind of give you some uh, understanding of how how basically if this is a slam dunk to say that you know his view of Constantine is incorrect um, but before I do that let me give you two links to look at one of the links is from my friend in California who runs a great ministry and this is going to be a treasure trove of information for you to just browse around. And it has a lot on this topic, okay? His website is called alwaysbeready.com. Alwaysbeready.com. His name's Charlie Campbell. Good friend. His daughter was actually in my wedding as the, as the uh, flower girl back in the day. And um, Charlie's been doing this for years. He sometimes comes and speaks in Colorado. Great guy. And so alwaysbeready.com. The next one I'm going to give you, I actually taught a sermon on this topic um, at my church, and that might be a good, you know, ground level starting point. And that can be found at whitefieldschurch.com, whitefieldschurch.com. And if you go into the sermons page 
and then go into the series, you'll find a series called I Could Never Believe in a God Who. You click on that, then you will find one called I Could Never Believe in a God Who Gave Us a Faulty Bible. And that's the one I want you to listen to. And um, But I will just give you this one set of stats from it, and then we, I'll have to let you go. Okay, here's what it is. Um, now, this is looking at ancient ancient writings, okay? So we have Plato. You know, Plato wrote the Republic, and he wrote that around the year 400 B.C. So 400 B.C., the earliest manuscript of the Republic that we have comes from 900 A.D. So that means that from the time he wrote it to the earliest manuscript we have now, elapsed 1,200 years and we have a total of seven copies of those manuscripts. Um, okay, so 1,200 years elapsed from the time he wrote it to the, the time from which we have the first manuscript. And yet, we consider that a reliable book. Okay, next one, Aristotle. He wrote around uh, 350 B.C., and the earliest manuscript from his writings are from 1100 A.D. So that's 1400 years elapsed between the writing and the manuscript that we have. And we have 49 copies of that. Tacitus wrote Roman history around 100 A.D. The earliest manuscript we have is 1100 A.D. So 1000 years elapsed between the writing and the manuscript. And we have 20 copies. Now check this out. Consider those numbers and listen to this. New Testament. New Testament was written between 50 and 90 A.D. The earliest manuscripts we have come from the 2nd century A.D., which means that the time that elapsed between the writing and the manuscripts was a couple of decades, right? A couple decades. You know, do you have books in your house that were written only a couple decades ago? Of course you do. Everybody does. And we trust them. We trust that they haven't been altered. Again, that's 200 years before Constantine. And check out how many copies we have to compare against each other. 5,686. So it's really not even a, an issue. The Bible is by far the most reliable ancient manuscript that exists. And we can show throughout history it hasn't been altered, neither by Constantine nor by any other ruler throughout history. Okay. Well, thank you for your in-depth response. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, asking the question. And let me pray for you as you talk to your friend. Heavenly Father, pray for Chris. Give her wisdom. Give her words to speak. We pray for her friend that he would be open to considering um, these evidences. And Lord, we do pray that he would come to faith in you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. God bless you, Chris. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Robert in Castle Rock, Colorado. Hi, Robert. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. What's up? I uh, just had a quick question. I've been reading through the book of Matthew. I just started over in the New Testament. Uh, and I was just curious, whenever Jesus was giving his Sermon on the Mound, uh, towards the end of it, he says, whoever shall call the, thy brother a fool will be in danger of hellfire. 
And so I was just curious why he would say that and then turn right around and call the Pharisees fools, which I do know that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were hypocrites, but I was just curious why Jesus would tell us not to say that to anyone and then turn right around and say it to someone. Yeah, well, the, the reason here is that the word that he's using is a different word, right? So when he says fools, and let, I'm going to make sure, though, I want to make sure that this is um, the one that he is using. Yeah, so it seems that Jesus uses a version of this word, um, but it is different. So it's different. He, he talks about acting foolishly. That's a certain word, uh, which is tuflos, right, is the word for acting foolishly. But the word for being a fool is the word moros, which means basically it's like calling somebody a moron. That's actually the root word of it. So what he's saying is, if you call somebody a moron, if you call somebody an idiot, then you um, deserve hellfire. When he's talking to other people and calling them fools, he's using a different word. So that's the first part. Um, the other point that Jesus is making, of course, in context there, is that um, he's talking to people who thought, you know, other people need salvation, like people who aren't Jews, for example, but not us, right? We're the Jews. We've got, we've got things covered. And Jesus is trying to show them, hey, look, even if you keep the letter of the law, everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and everybody needs salvation. Um, so that's his whole point. You know, who hasn't called someone or thought in their heart that someone else was a fool or a moron or an idiot? Uh, at least Jesus says it right to their face and says, you guys are being fools. Again, the idea here that he's using two different words, the one that he uses, um, I think in some translations, even puts it in Aramaic, which is the word raka, right? And it's a very insulting thing to call somebody. So... I think you can try and translate that into our modern vernacular and think, you know, what what is that, you know, very offensive thing that you could call somebody? And Jesus, though, on the other hand, is is calling someone out for their foolish actions, their unwise actions. Right, their hypocrisy. Uh, mm -hmm. So, could I find that in the Strong's Concordance, the difference between the two words? Yeah, that's actually what I was looking at when you when I was talking to you. I was looking it up on Blue Letter Bible. Okay. And um, oh, I closed it, I guess. So I was looking it up on Blue Letter Bible, and it was, yeah, you, you should be able to find that pretty easily. Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks, Pastor. I was just curious about that. Yeah, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Have a wonderful day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. We've got all open lines, and I would love to hear from you. Uh, this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 690-3000, 303-690-3000. Or text us, 720-336-0890. Nine seven. Uh, let's go back over to our text line. Uh, this person says um, they have lost their job, and they they have a business idea that they'd like us to pray about, and they have a heart for vacation Bible school Christians who have lost their job, and um, and so they want us to pray about their their business ideas here. Um, want to serve the Lord and help people during this time. So let's pray for this. Heavenly Father, we pray for 
uh, this person who texted in. Um, Lord, we, we pray for them that you would meet their needs. And I, I thank you for this noble desire that they have to want to do work that benefits other people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless this person that in their job, whatever job that you open up for them, Lord, I pray that they would be able to have a sense of calling, that the thing that they're doing is not just something to make money, but it is something they're doing for your glory to help other people. So we pray for these various ideas that they wrote about the hand sanitizer idea and the um, vacation Bible school the, for the ministry for Christians who have lost their job, teaching them also vocations. Um, Lord, we pray for these ideas. We pray that you would lead and guide this person. And according to your will, Lord, open up the door for them to have employment and to be able to bless others. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're so glad that you uh, let us know how to pray for you. Again, this is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or your prayer requests. We would love to hear from you. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here with you every Friday um, for this show. Give, a, give me a call. The number is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text me at 720-336-0897. I had a few questions um, that were emailed in to me, so let's go ahead and look at those. Um, one listener wrote in an email and said, is there a book or message series you could recommend to help rebuild sexual intimacy in marriage? Um, I'm sure that there are some really great books and message series out there. So maybe if you're listening and you know of one, text it into our text line, and I would be happy to let every other people know about it. The text number is 720-336-0897. But the book that I know about and I can recommend is a book called Sheet Music, Uncovering the Secrets of Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. So it's called Sheet Music, Uncovering the Secrets of Sexual Intimacy in Marriage. Okay, we had another person email in, and they had this question. They said, I have a Christian forum at my workplace, and one employee regularly posts statements in line with sinless perfection doctrine and encourages others to listen to a teacher I've never heard of. Uh, essentially, this employee constantly insists that if we are sinning, we are hypocrites, and they're adamant that we shouldn't listen to others or read the Bible, but just know God and be. I'm confused what that means. Um, and they say sin is hate. The only way to receive eternal life is to forgive. I dismiss this theology. It makes no sense and lacks support from the word, but he continues his posts. He doesn't value the word of God. Do you have any thoughts on how I can redirect his skewed theology while helping other members of the group dismiss this line of thinking? Okay, so uh, one way I would respond, again, the, the question was regarding someone kind of teaching a sinless uh, perfectionism type of theology. Uh, one way I would respond to that would be to point out, first of all, how this kind of theology has been dismissed and rejected by Christians throughout history. For example, John Wesley uh, famously was a uh, proponent, sorry, he was a proponent of Christian perfectionism at one point in his life uh, when he was younger, but by the time he got older, he actually uh, disavowed his belief in Christian perfectionism, which if you aren't sure what that is, it basically means that Christians can, during this life, reach a stage of sinlessness. 
And so John Wesley rejected that, and he said uh, by the end of his life, and a lot, a big part of it was because of his own experience as a Christian. Um, but here's the other thing I would tell you about people in that forum. My guess is that the other people on that forum, they probably see like the wackiness of what this person is writing. They're probably not likely swayed by it, but I'm sure that they would appreciate a short, simple response that would... Um, I think it would be gladly received by them because it would help them understand why what this person is teaching does not resonate with what they're feeling or what the Spirit's telling them. Um, but at the other hand, I wouldn't get super focused on just responding to everything that this person says. In other words, you don't want the squeaky wheel to get all the grease in this case because you've got, you've got bigger fish to fry. So... Um, the most compelling biblical arguments I would give against Christian pers perfectionism are three. I would say Romans chapter 7, 1 John, the whole book, and 1 Timothy 1.15. I'll explain that. Um, you know, Martin Luther, uh, he famously said that Christian is, he called it uh, justus et peccator, which means both righteous and a sinner at the same time righteous and a sinner at the same time. That's what it means to be a Christian. So we've been declared righteous in Christ. His righteousness has been accounted to us by grace through faith, and yet we still sin uh, in practice. So again, remember that when the Bible talks about salvation, it speaks of it in uh, comprehensive terms, right? Past tense, present tense, and future tense. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We have been saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. We are being saved, present tense, from the power of sin, that's sanctification, and we will be saved in the future from the presence of sin, which is when Jesus comes and um, makes all things new, okay? So we keep that in mind. And so I, I would say that sinless perfectionism is a kind of not realizing the the those other steps, right? The being saved right now from the power of sin and being saved in the future from the presence of sin. Um, looks like we have one more caller, and I'll just wrap this up then, and we'll take that call before the end of the show. Um, so Romans 7, Paul talks about his struggle with sin in the present tense. First John, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in First Timothy, we see Paul says, I am the worst of all sinners, right? And he says, God's grace was given to me. So the danger of Christian perfectionism, of course, that puts a huge burden on people. Because if you say that you're perfect and then you sin, well, then you've essentially, by your own doctrine, said, I'm not a Christian. So yeah, I think it's a dangerous topic. I think it's also clearly refuted in the Bible. Okay, let's go to our next caller, Pete in Colorado Springs. Hi, Pete. Welcome to the program. How's it going? Good. We've only got a few minutes, so I want to take your question. Tell me what it is. Yeah, so um, I've just been really just um, intrigued with um, Saul and Paul, just kind of just been recently just reading about him um, in Acts and um, Corinthians and all that. And what I probably haven't found yet, and what I'm really curious to know is, Saul, who was he that he had so much authority to be able to search for and hunt down Christians? And, um, you know, who was he as Saul? Was he a mm -hmm. king or a... What kind of rank did he have that he had so much authority? Yeah, great question. Um, so 
to understand that, though, you have to read some of Paul's writings about himself. So I'd encourage you to keep reading the New Testament. You might go back and read the latter half of the book of Acts, especially when Paul goes on trial because he explains some of those things. Um, basically, here's the answer to your question. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is called the Council. So sometimes in your Bible, it won't be called Sanhedrin. It's called the Council. And the Council, or the Sanhedrin, was the Jewish ruling religious council made up of 70 men. And um, they kind of were, you know, the overseers of Judaism. And so he was one of those religious leaders. And he studied, you know, under a famous rabbi named Gamaliel, which gave him a lot of prestige as well. And so he even says, though, at one point in, um, I think it's in his defense against Felix. This is like uh, latter half of the book of Acts, like Acts 26, I believe. He says, I was on my way to Damascus with a special permission from the high priest. So he had gone as a kind of leading member of the council. The, the other thing we see like in Acts 7 where he, he says that Paul or Saul was overseeing, he was holding the coats of the men while they stoned Stephen to death. What that tells us about him is that he considered himself basically above getting his hands dirty. He was running the crew that was persecuting the Christians. Oh, so it's Acts 22, verse 5. He, was, he received a letter from the high priest to go to Damascus to punish the Christians. So that's who he was. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. Keep reading that Bible, man. I'm glad to hear that you are. God bless you. i got to let you go. Okay, thank hey, you. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Nick Cady, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'll be with you next week. Check us out online, whitefieldschurch.com. You can check out my articles at nickcady.org. And God bless you and have a great weekend. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.